with the Lord's Prayer, if you'll bow your heads. Our Father. He isn't just my daddy. He is our Father this morning. That means he is all of our Father in heaven, in that place reserved for the beautiful name of Abba, Father, hallowed, honored, glorified, praise be to your name. We want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done. Lord, we don't want the kingdoms of this world right here. We want the kingdom of God to come and inhabit the space of our lives. We want your will to be done. You know, Father, forgive us. So often we want our own way and we're screaming at you, come on, God, do this and this. But now today we say to you, Father, forgive us. We want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, that the activity of heaven would increase and be brought to earth through the power of your spirit. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, we don't need to hoard bread. We need daily bread from you. We can't have a quiet time one moment and then wait a week to meet with you again daily, moment by moment. Give us the sustenance, Lord, of your word, our daily bread, and forgive us our debts. Oh, Lord God, you sent your son Jesus for the purpose to forgive us of our sins. Forgive us today and help us to forgive others. Boy, it's hard to do that. But help us, Father. And lead us not into temptation. Oh my goodness, there's so many temptations out there, Lord. Help us, lead us, Lord by your spirit and help us to avoid the temptations of this world and deliver us from the evil one because we know he prowls around like a roaring lion. In Jesus' name, amen. Now that's the way to pray the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> that is no rote prayer. I understand that um, when we're little children, we learn that prayer. And I went to one of the small groups and we discussed the intimacy with the Father and how together when we pray these prayers, they're not meant to be just rote prayers that we check off our list. And yet when I first really became a Christian and started learning these prayers, they had to get in me before they could get through me. Do you know what I mean? They had to get in there as rote prayers. There's nothing wrong with that. But as we begin to grow in the Lord, the prayers begin to take flight in our heart and they take on new fresh meaning and we begin to talk to our Father in heaven and we begin to understand that he sent his Holy Spirit to give our our prayers flight to begin to move and have his way in our being and so I wanted to share that since it came up in the small group about intimacy and specifically that prayer so I want to begin by the way that that group this morning was amazing raise your hand in the group I was in oh the late group there they are they're the ones that trickled in um, they have a sofa in their room okay right and no one would sit on the sofa and I came in and I thought I mean is the sofa dirty does it have you know something an animal lives in it or something I, I mean I don't know and all of them are in the circle back here and there's a sofa well comfy sofa not sitting there not sitting there and finally I said what the heck what are you doing they said no everybody that sits on that sofa cries and so so finally Danielle finally had the courage to go sit on that sofa but um that is, that is beautiful, though, that the Holy Spirit would come into your groups and bring his spirit that brings the depth 
of the personality of Christ right in that room and the Holy Spirit gets in there and begins to move and have his way and suddenly those tears, which I call Holy Spirit tears, begin to well up because you're studying and learning about the beautiful name of Jesus. I want to begin with slide one. As I begin to unpack this story today, Jesus' prayer, a prayer for unity, and I want to start with my grandfather, whom we call Papu. Now, he came to, this, to the United States when he was 19 years old. Is that right, Mom? 19 about? Yeah? He came to the United States when he was 19 years old. And several weeks before he died, he was staying with me. Normally, he would stay with my sister Kathy because she was single at the time and he wanted to take care of her. But this particular time, he was spending the night with me and we were going to do errands the next day. I share this story with you because it's extremely pertinent to our lesson today. As we were driving along, Papu, my grandfather, said to me, Iowana, which means actually full of grace in Greek, Iowana, I am going to die soon. And I remember thinking, no, utter despair, don't say that. You know, all the things I could think of running through my hand. Now, mind you, he was over 90 years old, but I still was really stressed out about it. And I was just in astonishment. And he leaned over and he said it again. So immediately I pulled over the car and I said, uh, who told you that? <laughs> he said, I just know that it's time for me and I'm going to go back home. Now he didn't use those exact words, but I knew what he meant. I grew up in a Christian family and I know that this is not our home. I knew it then. I knew it as a child. This is just a place that we come and do like a dress rehearsal for the rest of our lives, right? And so as I looked at my grandfather and he recognized he was dying, what do you think I did, women? What do you think I did? What would you do if someone told you they were dying? You lean in as close as you can because you want to get every single word they're going to say, right? And this is exactly what was going on in this priestly, high priestly prayer of Jesus this was his time to go to the cross. And because he was going to the cross, he wanted to get it all in. Everything he needed to say. Everything he needed to impart to his disciples. And he, he prayed this prayer as an instruction, but also to draw them in to this relational uh, ministry that they would have between he and them. And then between he and them and us. And then between all of us wrapped up in the Holy Spirit. He wanted to show us, and that, that can come down. He was going to the cross in just a few days. A dying man's words. What would he choose to say in those last days? What would be the topic that would be highest in his, in his presence, in his mind? It was unity. It was unity. As he was one in Christ, he prayed we would be one with him. And his theme was oneness in Christ. Now, I want you to put a parenthesis around in Christ. Because oneness, unity, true unity, not natural unity, can only come in Christ and through Christ. Do you think the world needs unity today? Amen? Apart from Christ there cannot be lasting unity. As believers, we're called to be one with Christ, united in him, a branch to the vine, this incredible union. And then we bring others together, and they're one in the spirit with us in Christ. 
True unity versus counterfeit unity is what we're going to be talking about this morning. Because Jesus wanted to be sure that we understood that true unity could only come through him in the vine as we are to the branches, the branches to the vine. So to the the degree that we are connected and fixed and fastened to Jesus, and then to that degree, others are grafted in, and together we are united in Christ. You see, there's a lot of natural affinities that we might have, We might think like certain people, talk like certain people, and we're naturally going to be unified with them. They may come from our same circles. We may have a common interest. We like to read books. There are all kinds of reasons to be unified with people. But I'm here to tell you that the unity we're talking about here transcends the natural. Ephesians 4 says there's one body, one spirit, just as you're called to one hope, when you were called. So Jesus' last words were unity. The definition of unite is this. Come or bring together for a common purpose. You see, Jesus wants us united, not just so we can go around singing kumbaya together, oh, how wonderful we are in this great, not that we do that, but I mean, it is a celebration when we come together as Christians. It's a safe Oh, I'm so glad to be in the presence of other Christians, right? We talked about that in small group, that in this part of the country, we are particularly in a bubble. We have a lot of people of of the Christian faith here. And there are other parts of the country where you wear a cross and they're like, "Mm." so we, we really are uniquely blessed here. But the point is, we are united and we come together for one purpose. It isn't just to Certainly we build each other up and certainly it's wonderful to come together. But our common purpose is to love God with all of our heart, strength, and mind and then to love our neighbor as ourself. So our common purpose is in Christ united to share the gospel and to be the hands and feet of Christ. Max Lucado in our study guide says, heaven will be populated by people who let God change them. Don't you love that? I love that. He's a magnificent writer, isn't he? Who let God change them, changed by the power of Christ's work within the, within the Holy Spirit, unified together in the Spirit. So I want to just give you some practical application. Okay, in this world, in the natural world, we see dimly. One day we're going to see face to face, but right now we see dimly. We, our spiritual walk is but a shadow and a foreshadow of what we will experience in heaven, right? And so what we do here is we see in a glass dimly on this side of heaven. We love weakly. We see dimly. We love weakly. What do I mean by that? We love mostly with our natural affinities and affections. Christ in this journey is trying to get us to love supernaturally, which is a whole new trajectory. It's a place where we are striving in Christ to love with his love. And we hear vaguely. So we've got this shadow glass. We have this vague hearing. We see a little bit. We hear a little bit. But the closer we abide in Christ, suddenly there is a transformation in us. And that's our theme this year, to be transformed. What does that look like? we begin to see more clearly. Don't you begin to see, even coming into these classes, aren't you beginning to see more clearly? Aren't you beginning to to hear a little different sound? It's like the veil gets lifted as you come into communication together and study his word. We see more clearly. Our perspectives shift 
to be God's perspectives because our perspectives can be askew. You know how we do as women. We get there and we go, she said, and he said, and I thought, and he said, and by the time you have it, you have this big old thing that's a whole total lie, and they're thinking, and now I need to go do, and I need to say, am I the only one up here that does this stuff? <laughs> you know, by the time you finished, your perspective is taking you to hell and back. I'm just here to tell you, women, we do that really well. But the truth is, the more we abide in Christ, now I'm trying to get to this unity theme, so hang in there with me. The more we abide in Christ, we begin to get, we see more clearly. We have perspectives in our marriages that are broken, in our households where we have kids on drugs, in our places where our finances are really sketchy, in the places where we have been a gossip meister, Whatever is messy in your lives, we begin to see and hear new things, sounds from heaven, if you will, clarity, perspective, better, nice um, ears that begin to hear. We begin to love more deeply. Have you noticed that in your walk? All of these are signs of supernatural unity. Y'all, it's not natural. It is natural to gossip. It is natural to uh, try to be with people who are like you. It is natural to want to, sometimes, I hate to say this, have that stinking thinking where you're thinking they're thinking and they're not really thinking, but you're thinking they're thinking. It is, though, this is an unnatural thing. It's a natural thing, I mean. What is unnatural to us is when the Lord begins to supernaturally open our eyes and our ears because we're abiding in the vine. Suddenly, what happens in our relationships? You're looking at someone and you're hearing a new song. You're seeing with fresh eyes. The person that stabbed you in the back, suddenly you have love for them. There, this is supernatural, y'all. We cannot do it in the natural. So how do we receive this kind of new life when we're born again and when we give the Holy Spirit room to move, when we spend each single day repenting for where we fell short and we start fresh the next day, which is the power of the cross. And little by little, inch by inch, we become unified with people that otherwise we would not be unified with. Are you following me? This is the kind of unity that Jesus is talking about. Selfless, not wanting things, I am, I am, it's for me, 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 but wanting to pour out into other people's lives. It's just an amazing transference, isn't it? When Christ gets a hold of our lives. I want to share with you a story because I was talking about we gravitate towards people who are like us or people who are, have common interests, etc., which is natural. But we also try to force unity sometimes. And years ago, we had a family reunion. And the family, I was so excited about it because I was going to bring our extended family and the extended, extended family all together under my roof and have a family reunion. And I decided since we're Greek that I would fix a Greek, well, I actually didn't fix the Greek meal. Y'all know how much I love to cook. I, I got it fixed for us to bring in. And I had this wonderful display of food. And I had um, you know, Greek pastizo, and I can't remember what else I had that night, Greek salad, etc. Um, you know, just, I can't remember all that I had. But I came in there, and as they're going through the lines, one of my aunts says, I don't like Greek food. I'm like, but you're Greek for crying out loud. The other one said, where's the bread? I only, I, I have to have bread. I'm like, I don't have bread. I have 25 starches here. I don't, I don't have 
bread, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking this is already starting off on a really bad footing. And we had really um, treasured bringing us together in unity and it's exciting and wonderful and, and you know, etc. Well, at the end of the evening, as the evening began to march on, we all went in to have dinner in different parts of the house. And in my dining room, guess what was the topic of conversation? Y'all, this was 15 years ago. It was politics. Some things never change. And so all of a sudden, I hear, and Greek people can be a little bit excitable. <laughs> I see my hands going up. And so all of a sudden, I hear very elevated conversation. And... And, and, you know, and I'm like, oh. so Blunt goes in there. He thought, something's going on. It's probably some of the wrong food we served. And he went in there, and it was politics, and they were totally divided. And it just was, it was very messy, and everybody left. Not everybody left in a huff, a huff but a few people did. And so um, when we left, that was the last reunion we've had in 15 years. <laughs> But the point being, Jesus wants us unified, and we'll look at that prayer in a minute, around him. Now listen to this. This is probably the most important thing I say this morning, is we try to unify ourselves around a counterfeit God. For me, it was a family reunion, everybody together, everybody's going to be, you know, it was, and, and, and actually a very, um, a good thought, a very nice thing to do, but apart from Christ and the unifying force of Christ, we can create false unity under and around the false things. So then the next question should be, in case you're not thinking it, I certainly did when I penned these words, then why are we split between Christians? And I'm going to answer that for you. Because some Christians, we certainly are politically um, separated. We are traditionally separated. Some like the contemporary service. Some like the um, traditional service. We are split um, in sometimes in different ways that we conduct our worship service, in our missions, in our belief system. Now here's the bottom line. When we come together as one, those things may still be in disagreement. But when we come together in Christ, through Christ, by the power of his Holy Spirit, believing that he died and rose on the third day, that we will rise again with him, that there is a resurrection, that Jesus Christ came and he has brought salvation to us, and we agree on the main thing, and we're staying in the vine closely connected, those things become secondary gods. Everybody with me? And so what I'm seeing happening in the world today is that people are hanging their hats to have unity around other things. And that is what's creating more and more of a division in the church. I'll tell you a story. When I started drawing near to God, I um, was told that I was doing something that was pretty radical. Now, why they said that is because I was trying to bring together all denominations under one roof. Some people told me, one of my very closest friends told me, well, that's just crazy. That's just nuts. Why would you do that? Because, you know, we're not going to agree and etc. And um, I had... Um, pastors. Some pastors thought I was trying to steal sheep from their programs. I had phone calls. I had, um, yes I did, I had hate mail. I know some of you think, oh who would do that? It happens in the world of the church. I, um, 
I had a lot of stress trying to do what I felt like God was asking me to do. But in the middle of that, the Lord spoke to me the word to begin with. He wanted me to do this. He wanted, he said, your call in your life is to be a bridge of unity between the churches and the body of Christ at large. And you are to be a bridge between the traditional churches, the charismatic churches, that you know how to speak all of their languages. I come from a very, very traditional ecclesiastical church, and, and, and I've had a lot of experience in the charismatic churches and everything in between. And I am uniquely prepared for this call because I speak the different languages and I have a heart for the body of Christ. And so I kept pressing on and it got harder and harder. I had some people leave the program because their priests didn't want them to come. I had some of my fresh friends tell me I was insane. I had some people question um, my theological training. Um, I could give you a litany of lists, but listen to me, folks. The call to unity has happened. You and those of you that are streaming are from all over the country from different churches. You sitting in this room today are from all different churches and denominations, but we are one faith, one baptism, one call, one body united in Christ. If we will unite around, not the counterfeit things of the world, but if we will unite around the vine, we can change the world. We are the hope of the world. What we're doing here is extremely unique. And it was indeed extremely challenging. So I want to talk to you a little bit because I always have great concern that though we're looking at chapter 17 and you've spent time on the high priestly prayer, I want to unpack just very lightly chapters 13 up to 17 for you. Open your Bibles to John chapter 13. What a magnificent job Bishop Wood did last week. I watched him uh, via the streaming and it was magnificent. I really was very impressed with what he did and how he unpacked Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And so we see, I went to, um, I was at a, a conference last weekend where I was speaking and um, one of the speakers on Capitol Hill was Dr. Black, who is uh, the, the chaplain, the Senate chaplain, who spoke and, at the National Prayer Breakfast. There were 38 women who had a private audience with him, and we heard him speak. And his message was John 13. He said, you have a choice. You can serve Christ, or you can serve sin. Are you going to serve Christ and then go wash your sister's or your brother's feet. And the message of 13, when Jesus pulled out the towel, it's the message of servitude. It's the message of, of laying your life down for Christ and therefore for others. But then something happened in about verse 36. And Jesus is saying, where I go, you can't follow. And Peter says, I'm going to follow you anywhere. And Jesus knew at that moment that Peter could not follow right then. He knew that Peter would deny him. But here's the thing, you all, and please take this to your bank in your spiritual temple. Jesus saw in Peter that Peter would come fully in to loving, knowing, even after he denied him three times. 
He could read his mail, so to speak. He could look right and directly at Peter. And he looks at you. And though you say, well, I'm not worthy and I don't do this. And I have all this shame and these things. He sees you as you are meant to be. Not as you see yourself now. He sees you as the eye is on the sparrow. He sees you. He sees your potential. He doesn't see you clouded with all of your messiness. He looked at Peter. He knew what Peter would become. And I love that text in John chapter 13 and I just wanted to elevate that for you so you could take that home and think about it. He talks about betrayal in chapter 13. Have you been betrayed? That's about verse 21. Jesus knew that one of his disciples would betray him. He knew that Peter would deny him. What about betrayal? Have you betrayed someone? Have you betrayed someone in your family, a friend, a relationship, a co-worker? Has someone betrayed you? We have to deal with this stuff as we come together in unity. These are the things, the hard things that we have to deal with so that our temple is cleansed and clean so that the Holy Spirit can have more room in our lives. And so we see Jesus. He goes right to the topic of betrayal. And then he says right after that, in verse 31, a new commandment. He said, you're going to be betrayed. He said, I'm going to be betrayed. But I have a new commandment that you love one another. Love me with your whole heart and then love one another. All of this is leading up to the priestly prayer. All of this is like my grandfather who was dying. And he knew it. And by the way, he died two weeks later. Those last words, all of this, he was packing it in, folks. He washed their feet to show them how to live their lives. He talked about betrayal because they would be betrayed, betrayed all over the place. He talked about the new commandment so they could grab hold of the way to live in Christ through the trials of life. And then in 14, he said, and by the way, I am the truth and the way and the light. No one can come to my father apart from me. Now listen to me, women of faith. There is a movement across the world that's called universalism. Universalism believes that everybody's going to heaven. And it is just an easy, wide, big road. Jesus said, my way is narrow. My way is narrow. It's like going through the eye of a needle. My way is narrow. I am the way and the truth. And no one's going to get to my dad except through my narrow way. Universalism in everywhere. The movie The Shack that's coming out. I read the book. Oh, the book was fine. I thought it was okay. But my heart beat all the way through that book. And I couldn't figure out, uh, uh, what's wrong with this book? And so I read it and put it aside. Never thought about it again. And the movie came out. And I began to research it. And, and the author is a universalist. And he has, I mean, it's honestly an agenda of, I'm okay, you're okay. And I know you, some of you have watched it and love it, etc. But we need to understand these things. Because we are called to be in the world and not of it. Now, we're not called to be snobs. We're not called to be holier than thou. I get in, I watch a lot of secular movies. I read a lot of books. I am an avid reader. I read science. Right now, I'm, I'm studying computers. My talk on, uh, in, in D.C. last week was on the iCloud. You know, I, I used it as a, an example of the iCloud when our eyes are on ourselves, our vision is clouded. 
And I talked about computerization and computers and all this because I wanted to get into the, to the world of the brainiacs over here because they don't want to hear me say, open your Bible to John 3.16. They're not there. What they want to hear is, how do, how do you, what, what gives you the authority to speak into my life? And they want to know, well, the world's doing this. So, okay, get in the world, folks. Get in the game. I am not saying that you go shelter yourself and sequester yourself. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. So when I talk about these things a shack, read the book and you'll see for yourself. I'm not afraid of these things. But I want you to understand that behind it is another message. And go and research it. I sent the links to my um, group leaders. If you want those links, they can send them to you. We see in here a new commandment. And we see John chapter 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Watch what I do. Do what I do. And he begins to say, you know where I'm going. And Thomas says, I don't have a clue where you're going. These disciples could not figure it out. If we were there, we couldn't have either. And Thomas says, I don't know where you're going. He said, I am the way. I am the way and the truth. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And Philip says, oh, Lord, show us the Father. They were so dense. But you all, we're that way too. And we have a responsibility to show the way as believers. They were so bewildered. They didn't understand what was going on. And the most magnificent thing is that Jesus then, see if I can find it. It says, in my Father's house are many rooms. So again, why am I going through 13, 14, and 15 before I get to 17? Is these are the most exciting, pertinent, and relevant, and important things to Jesus that he did on the days leading up to the cross. These are significant passages in here. And though our study guide does not take us through them, they lead up to the priestly prayer. And I want you all to read through the whole Gospel of John. So we see, he says, by the way, where I'm going, I'm the truth and the way. And, and if you believe in me, you're going to go to heaven. I'm already up there preparing a room for you. I am there preparing a place for you. We know he used the Jewish analogy of weddings. When the, when the man came to the parents and there was an arranged marriage, they went and after they decided that this marriage would happen, he went to his father's house and built a room on there. Jesus said, I'm building a father's uh, uh, room just for you, sisters. Just for you.